up, everybody, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wild, TV host by day, Healthy is Hot founder by night, and health and life coach in between. Also, I'm a big fan of sweatpants and a nice glass of red wine. And from hashtag to movement, we here at Healthy is Hot believing that loving all sides of you is what is healthy, and let's be real, healthy is hot. In this podcast, we invite you to join us as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals who are living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. The best part, how health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, just a heads up, we don't really hold back, so there might be swearing, there's definitely going to be some laughing, and hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed here, you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthiest hot life. Emily, I'm so excited to have you on the Healthiest Hot Podcast. This chat that we're about to have, I am intrigued by, I'm curious by, and I also see and value the importance and the power of what you are doing and what you have been doing since 2005. That was a long time ago and you are still doing the work that you do. And before we get into it, I just really want to say thank you for doing what you do and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. So 2005. But you, you were out there starting something absolutely fantastic that is still in existence today. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was 24, I think, in 2005. And 2005, we all had these um, newfangled cameras attached to our phones. (laughs) Everyone was completely confused by because they took the worst photos humanly possible. Um, and so we, you know, were just a bunch of kids, like trying to figure out how to be in our twenties. And, um, we were gathered, there were seven of us total that co-founded Hollaback. And we were gathered on my friend's rooftop, just talking right about our experiences with street harassment. And we were like, you know, if this stuff happened in the workplace, like it wouldn't be allowed. There would at least be some kind of system in place to address this, but because it's happening on the street. People can say whatever they want to to you whenever they want to say it. Um, and we'd recently heard the story of this young woman named Tal Nguyen who was riding um, the New York City subway when an older, um, as it so turned out, like raw foods restaurant owner, like middle class, upper middle class, like white guy, exposed himself to her. And she had had this happen to her before. And so she decided to pull out that newfangled cell phone camera and take his photo and take it to the police. But when she took it to the police, the police were like, sorry, miss, he's probably like seven or eight stops away by now, nothing we can do. And that was it. So she put it on Flickr, which was, you know, photo sharing website also knew at the time, the thing went viral on, um, on Flickr, or at least as viral as things went back in 2005, before everyone figured out how to use their internet browser um and and it made it to the front cover of the new york daily news like our local kind of newspaper here in new york and everybody had a story everybody had had this happen to them they had seen it happen to somebody else my boss at the time had seen that exact guy masturbating across from her on the subway and so we were just like what is this like why is this something that every single new yorker experiences and nobody's doing anything about it. Like there should be a tremendous public outcry. This shouldn't just be the price that you pay for being a woman or being queer in this city. It's ridiculous. 
So we um, went on this little journey of doing what Tal did and really replicating her approach, she's now on our advisory board, um, to documenting our own experiences of harassment and putting them up on this little blog. And it really just went from there. The first five years was just a little side project that we ran, but it just kept gaining energy, enthusiasm, attention. Um, and so we turned it into a nonprofit. And now, you know, here we are, 2021, still, still making it happen. Wow. So much came up for me while I was hearing your story. First of all, I love that you and your friends, that's what you decided to do with your time together, um, hanging out. I think there's some pretty amazing things when like-minded individuals come together with a greater cause. And this is definitely one that needed attention for New York City dwellers and people around the world. And also it brings me back to when I was in my early 20s. Um, I went to University of Montreal at McGill I was one of those late night owls. I would study and pull, you know, all nighters until three, four in the morning at the library. And I would often walk home because I lived like yeah. two blocks from school. And one of those nights I walked home from the library. It was very late. I was by myself. It's middle of winter. So I'm wearing a massive, massive long um, jacket, but a bright pink backpack. And so I felt a little makes sense when I tell the story. And so as I'm walking, all of a sudden, you know, when you can just kind of feel someone behind you, you just have a sense that there is a presence. And I was like, oh, it's probably, I don't know, student, whatever. I wasn't too anxious back then in my early twenties. And I turned around and was it not this dude who had his pants down, kind of like chasing me, um, masturbating as he was approaching me. And I was unprepared. I was unprepared. I was exhausted. I was unprepared. I was shocked, but I don't know what came over me, Emily, but I all of a sudden just like deep guttural primal screaming, yelling at this man in the moment. I thought that was the best thing Just scare him off. Like if he's going to act like that, like watch me act even bigger and louder. And thankfully, you know, that kind of scared him off and did a cop car not drive by shortly after, like I'm talking within two minutes, I was still standing there shaking, just overwhelmed by what had happened. And the cops told me the same exact thing. And they were like, Oh yeah. Like we've heard of, we've heard of female sharing this with us. Um, that there's someone the female in the Miguel area. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, he's probably just not well. So, you know, get home safe and, um, have a good night and then left. And I felt so at that point, I didn't know much about that behavior. Maybe he was just an exhibitionist, but in my mind, I'm just like, well, now I'm the only person I can see wearing a bright pink backpack. My home is at street level. I can't go home. You know, my mind started going mm -hmm. in all extreme directions. And so I ran in like an ankle length parka to my friend's apartment and just sobbed all night because I think I just mm -hmm. wasn't prepared for it. I'm not that anyone yeah. ever is. I hadn't heard about other stories like this. Um, typically you hear about really extreme, extreme horrors that happened. In yeah. Towns. And, you know, it was, it was really traumatizing. And um, I think I would have greatly benefited from knowing that you created this community where other individuals shared their stories to at least not feel so alone. And so like feelings of shame almost for being in a position, you know what I mean? Like there's so much that goes on in your mind. 
Well, yeah, society blames us for our, you know, experiencing harassment. You know, you tell people these stories and they're like, oh, well, what were you wearing? Or why were you out? Why didn't you finish that paper at 9 p.m.? Like a good girl, you How know? Dare like, you wear a bright backpack and call attention to yourself. I got How that. How dare you have a body, a mind, you know? Like, you know, it's this kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I have a similar story um with the backpack right like big puppy coat backpack coming home from class and I was so proud of myself I was like finally I had like a somewhat like reasonable witty response to harassment instead of just like freezing with like paralyzing shame and anxiety and then he whips around and he's like oh, you're ugly anyway right and so it's like it's like those moments it's like no matter what no matter even if you do have like the response you're like you can't even see it like you can't even see it right and then they still come back to you with some other thing that's like you know nasty nasty it's awful and it's this feeling I think of being alone that is that is the the, one of the biggest challenges because the world's blaming us and then we're blaming us and then we don't know anybody else who's been through it and we think that we're weird or that something's wrong with us or that somehow we're like quote unquote asking for it and we're not we're just trying to you know, go to school. Just trying to get home from the library. Thank you very yeah. much. Or other times in, in my university, it was a girl's night. So excuse me for wanting to wear a dress and, and shoes. And, and you know what I mean? It's like, there's so many moments and there's also such variety um, of what harassment is. And I think it's really, I mean, I'd love to hear your, your opinion on it. But for me, I'm just like, if someone feels like they have experienced harassment, then they, they have experience harassment like it is a lived experience you can't judge someone for experiencing it or question it if they feel it 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 happened and we have to um, believe them and support them but for you in the work that you do like what is harassment and really I I don't even like how many people does it affect yeah I mean it's huge right and so there's so many forms of harassment as you said and what we know is that um People who, you know, are people of color, who are LGBTQ+, who are women, who are young, who are poor, right? All of these things make you more likely to experience harassment, more at risk for harassment. Um, And so it just becomes this huge and sprawling issue where, you know, virtually everyone at some point in their lives has a moment where they've been treated as less than just for being who they are. Um, But certainly the more marginalized identities that you're holding, the more likely that it is to happen to you. And and that's been part of our journey too. You know, we started off really looking at this issue of gender because it was what we experienced. And then as we like went on as an organization, we started really saying like, okay, like gender's not, gender's a piece of it, but like there's all kinds of racist harassment that's happening. There's all kinds of ableist harassment that's happening, you know, and, and for, some people, gender might be like the front door into the work. It might be like the number one way that they think about their experiences of harassment. Maybe they've experienced a lot of sexual harassment, for example. But for some people, it's really about race, right? It's about a, a fear that you can't you know, be pulled over by the police and you're worried that you're going to survive. For others, you know, it's about ability and being talked to like their children, like even when they're full grown adults, right? Like, so you know, we learned that there's so many different ways that people come to relate to this. And over time, we started to move away from being an organization exclusively dedicated to addressing street harassment, although it's still very much what we do, but really being an organization to look at harassment in all of these ways and realizing that 
we can start to process our own experiences of harassment. We can also start to have empathy for the ways that others are experiencing harassment, right? And we can start to see the ways that even as we are fervently fighting for ourselves not to be harassed, like maybe there's pieces and parts of us that have implicit bias or even explicit bias, right? That's creating harm for others. So, you know, how can we kind of figure this out together, I think is, is a core question we're asking. Like, look, if you've got explicit bias, check yourself. If you've got implicit bias, we all do to some degree, then let's shine a light on it. Let's learn, yeah. let's educate, let's have conversations. And then we can be better today, tomorrow, the next day than we were yesterday. Um, so I think that's really beautiful that, you know, Hollaback started with one kind of big focus and it is a big yeah. focus on its own and it's since expanded, um, which sounds like a lot of work, but also sounds incredibly rewarding. <laughs> it is. It's amazing. And, you know, you know, one of the things that happened along the way as we were focusing in on this issue of, of street harassment and really beating the drum at it is that everyone told us, oh, like, you're just being hypersensitive. I'm sure it's just a compliment, you know? And we were like, what are, like, who in the world, like, cares? Like, who in the world, like, is negatively impacted other than, like, it's just everybody, by harassment? Like, is there, like, a company or brand that would care about this? Um, and so we went through this whole process back in like 2014 with this like god awful poorly designed PowerPoint presentation that at the time we thought was beautiful um, of pitching all of these like makeup and fashion companies to champion this cause. We were like, look, you want people to be their most fierce selves. We want people to be their most fierce selves. Like, let's do this together. Um, and all these companies were like, what? This is not a significant issue. Like, this is not actually our society. So then like four or five years later, L'Oreal Paris reaches out like completely out of the blue. And it was like, this is the number one issue impacting women. And we want to champion it. And PS for the world's largest makeup brand. And we were like, what? Like, dude, it was just like, you know, like if you do something for long enough, finally people get it. Yeah. And so now we've got this huge global partnership addressing street harassment, right? We're treating a million people around the world in bystander intervention to address street harassment, which is huge. Like, and from just like a, the lived experience of being me to go from like being a kid, running a blog, running around New York city, like photographing all my harassers <laughs> to, you know, getting to like run an organization that is not just addressing harassment in all of its forms, um, but is partnered with like the world's largest makeup brand to scale this methodology that we developed to a million people all around the world. It's like, it, it is, you know, they say that like change is so slow, but in my own like lived experience, it's felt really fast to see those just like dramatic shifts in society. And I think deeply accelerated around all the movement building around it, like Me Too and Black Lives Matter and all of this stuff. So it's really, it's been an amazing ride. Yeah, and the ride is not done yet. A million people, a million people is no joke. That is a lot and I hope that number continues to grow. Um, and I think it's really cool that what started as a community to share stories has now turned into this community that takes action. Um, yeah. And that's something that's very prominent when you check out your site is that the goal is to change the culture that, oh my gosh, I skipped a question. I'm so sorry. I was like, hold on a second. I want to make sure I get the right one. You can ask um, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Like, and I think conversations are really great and I think community is really great, but then we can level up and make these movements even greater, even more impactful by empowering people to take action. And I know that's so important to the core of what you do. So what are some of the ways that you move people into action? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think we're at a point where people are really saying like, okay, government's not going to fix this. Police aren't, aren't going to fix this. You know, like my HR department's not going to fix this. So like, what am I going to do in the middle of this? Like, can I do something other than just like not harass other people? Um, which is by the way, a great place to start. Um, but once you've accomplished that, um, you know, we really think that everyone has a responsibility to kind of step up into this when they see it happening. And one of the things that we realized from these 15,000 stories that we'd accepted on our site is that the number one thing that helps people is when somebody intervenes and that intervention didn't have to be complicated. Our research with Cornell University showed that even if all people did was give the person being harassed a knowing glance, that that actually reduced trauma for them. All of a sudden they didn't feel alone. But if the people around them did nothing, which is what usually happens, um, it increases trauma. It makes it worse. And people were consistently saying like, look, like the fact that nobody did anything was more upsetting to me than the harassment itself, right? That we just are gonna stand by and let this happen to people in society like is wrong. Um, so we developed the five Ds of bystander intervention. You know, briefly, they are distract, creating a distraction to de-escalate the situation. Um, delegate, finding somebody else to help, maybe the person next to you. Document, creating documentation, giving it to the person who was harassed, leaving them in choice as to how they want to deal with it. Um, delay, which is checking in on the person or that knowing glance that we talked about. And then direct, which is you know setting the boundary with the person doing the harassing. But then, this is the trick, don't get in a back and forth, turn your attention to the person being hurt and check in on them, right? And all of these approaches are not about superhero stuff. They're not about compromising your personal safety. They're about de-escalating the situation and prioritizing the person being harassed in that moment. Um, and so once people understand that like that's all it is, like, oh, I can do a knowing glance or ask somebody if they are okay, and that is gonna be helpful, they're like, okay, I can do some stuff, right? <laughs> like I can get the person next to me to like, you know, get the store manager while I like drop this bottle of water. <laughs> like I got this, you know? <laughs> what it's what groundbreaking action items you're delivering to people. But I, I mean, they're needed because a lot of people, unfortunately, like you said, just kind of do nothing, but it's, that's amazing that that study showed that a glance, a knowing glance. And I think we underestimate the power of making eye contact with people, whether it's with people that we love, we don't even make proper eye contact with those individuals sometimes. So yes. imagine walking down the street now that we're all wearing masks, at least here in Toronto, everyone's still masked up. And when I go for runs, I like to, I like to make eye contact with people and see if I can like get like a little eye smile and I think it freaks people out because most people are shocked that some or they look at me like what like what is going on here and I for everyone listening like I challenge you to make more conscious eye contact in your everyday life but definitely take what you're hearing from Emily and kind of keep that in your back pocket if yeah. you happen to come across street harassment or harassment of any kind and and to be there for the person experiencing it I think sometimes yeah. it's so easy to get angry and live it at the person doing it. And we like want to like step in and stop like if you are, but 
we have to remember that, you know what, the person that needs us is the person who just experienced that. Exactly. Exactly. And I love your point about eye contact too. I feel like, you know, part of my, um, approach, like whenever I feel like uncomfortable in public space or like, I'm just not sure like this person passing me, you know, I will, I'll like look them straight in the eye firmly directly and give them like a nod. Right. And it's like a, the intention is like, I'm human, you're human. We're good. You know? And I think people kind of like read it, you know, they're like, Oh, she's human. Interesting. Not going to mess with her. Oh, she sees that I'm human interesting. She's not going to mess with me. We're all going to peacefully like navigate the street together. Um, you know, not a foolproof exercise by any means, but I just think that the more that we can see each other as human, the more that we can understand that that person harassing us probably has somebody else harassing them. Right. Then we can start to kind of move towards, um, a better world. I'm going to challenge myself to do that because I'm definitely the person that when I feel uncomfortable or I'm just feeling a little bit unsure about my surroundings, head down, like Mm -hmm. keys in my hand, just in case, because, you know, that's what we do, or at least that's what I do. And I just beeline to where I need to get. I am going to try my best to stand tall and make eye contact and see what happens. And it might feel really scary. It kind of makes me feel a little like all over the place, even thinking about it. But I have value. I have worth. We all have value. We all have worth. And if we can maybe muster up the courage to make eye contact, maybe it will deescalate. Yep. Maybe not. Yeah. In which case. Firm, direct I, with that message. I am human. You are human. And I see you. But you don't need to say that. Just think it. Just yeah. think it. Right. Um, but look, like, t- to be fair, look, your strategy, put your head down, keys in the hand, beeline to where you want to go. Like, you made it this far. Like, that strategy is clearly working for you. So, like, you know, no shame on that strategy. Right. And that's like part of, what we talk to people a lot about is that people always want these like perfect responses to harassment. They don't exist, but I think even the desire for them is almost like predicated on this belief that, um, that it's somehow our fault. If we just changed our behavior, then we wouldn't experience harassment. And ultimately it's their responsibility to change their behavior and to not harass us, not our responsibility to change our behavior. So if you've got tactics that are working for you, like go for it. You want to switch it up? We've got options, but like, you know, ultimately like, you know, you, you know how to take care of you better than someone else. And also no one should have to change if they're being authentically themselves. Like, and, and that's the frustrating part is that people walking down the street, like wholeheartedly themselves. And, and sometimes that's when street harassment happens. Um, you know, I have a, like quite a few queer friends and that's when they experience it is when they are living their most authentic truth and wearing what makes them feel amazing. And, and yet they experience harassment when they're just trying to be themselves. And harassment is so high in the trans community, especially among trans women of color. Um, you know, and, and what's important about that is not just that it is more persistent, that it is more pervasive, it is more severe, but also the escalation from inappropriate comment to extreme violence is incredibly quick, right? And so like, we really need to to do the work to show up for our trans sisters and brothers, our queer sister and brothers, our sister and brothers of, of, you know, of color, 
um, and all the folks who do not identify as sisters or brothers that are somewhere in the non-binary space, right? We need to do the work for them too. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of, we need to do the work for them too. What is your hope with the work that you do and have been doing for 16 years? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing is that I want to change the culture of, 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 I mean, I'd love to just pull stuff in harassment. So we're going to take some pit stops on the way there. Um, so, um, so, you know, I want to change the experience of what it means to experience, to be harassed, right. To know that, okay, like there can be some jerks in the world who can be awful, but to know that people are going to have your back to know that in that moment, people are going to have your back. Strangers are going to show up for you in the same way they would show up for you if you had a medical emergency. And that they're going to know what to do in a way that supports you in the same way they know what to do seemingly when you have a medical emergency. So I want their, that response to change. But I also think that we have to change too. Like when we hear people's experiences of harassment, we can't like jump to like what they should have done different to prevent that. You know, we kind of, we just need to create space for it. We need to listen to it. We need to validate that they didn't deserve it. What they were wearing they were going or what color lipstick they had on you know that they just deserve to be them that you can march down the street in high heels and a bikini and still be completely safe right like we need to put that idea more strongly out into the world um, and support each other when we do experience it and then I think the other piece of this puzzle too is that we need to take the time to take care of ourselves inside of this, take the time to heal from what we have been through. Because I think what harassment teaches you is that you can't step up out into the world, that you're constantly um, at risk just for being who you are. I think harassment starts to chip away at who you are. It has this silencing impact. And, you know, you may, of course, decide to keep going and to you know, ask for that promotion and to be in the media and to run for office or whatever. But there's always, I think, among those of us who've experienced extreme harassment, this knowledge that if we do it, we're going to run the risk of more harassment, right? That everything that we do to advance our voice, to advance our ideas into the world is going to put us more and more at risk of harassment. And of course, that's gonna have a silencing impact. And so if we wanna look at true equity in this world, we have to create space for people to be exactly who they are and to be safe doing that. To be safe doing that, that's so, that's so beautifully said. Um, you are incredibly well versed in this world. Um, you're such an incredible advocate for anti-harassment work. Um, I'd like to shift gears now and talk about the work and the trainings and the free trainings um, yeah. across so many areas that Hollaback does, because that's something that really kind of blew me away. Um, you know, it's one thing to have trainings and programs and maybe employers will, will conduct them at work, but you and your team are out there sharing some of this information for free through some of these trainings. And I'm sure our Healthy as Hawk community um, is curious to learn more. So what are some of these trainings and, and who are they designed for? Yeah, absolutely. So Healthy as Hawk community, come on down. We got free training for you. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, in Canada, we just launched Stand Up Against Street Harassment. So it's free training in um, English or in French. 
um, to be able to respond to street harassment using bystander intervention tactics or to be able to respond to street harassment when you experience it yourself because we got to know how to take care of ourselves. But we have bystander intervention training as an organization to address anti-Asian harassment, to address anti-Black harassment, to address anti-LGBTQ harassment, um, to address learning differences, to address online harassment, workplace harassment, like you name it. We've sort of customized Hollaback 5Ds of bystander intervention to apply in all of these different scenarios to really support people who are looking for safe ways um, to intervene. Um, and that has been a huge thrust of our work, but we also do conflict de-escalation trainings, implicit bias trainings, you know, how to respond to harassment trainings, all of that stuff. And we do what we can to really make it great. Um, there is always at least one form of bystander intervention training that we're offering on our site completely for free to the public, because part of our mission is to make sure that everybody who wants to be trained can be trained. Um, and we're in the middle of this like really intense moment because of the rise of anti-Asian harassment in particular. So just to give you a sense of, you know, our organizational history last year, for example, we trained 25,000 people in bystander intervention, which we were really excited about. We thought it was like the most amazing accomplishment that we'd ever done in our lives. Big party, big celebration on Zoom, of course, like you do in these times. Um, and then in the past month alone, so since the murders in Atlanta um, and, and the rise in anti-Asian harassment that we've seen across the US and across Canada, we have had 125,000 people register for our bystander intervention trainings. That is a huge, <laughs> like a city, like an entire city, small city, but city <laughs> has registered for our trainings. Um, and it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, I mean, organizationally it, you know, we're, we're a little sleepy, um, but, 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 but completely excited, um, about this response, but you know what, from a, just a historical perspective to see how eager people are that, to figure out how they can show up, what they can do to address this violence and harassment, how they can, um, interrupt it in ways that prioritize their own safety too, is really beautiful and different than what we've ever seen in the past. Well, HIH community, let's continue to make that number climb higher and higher. Where can people go find more information and see what trainings might be av available right now? Yeah, absolutely. So go to iHollaback.org. Um, there towards the top of the page, you will see a big get trained button. You can click on that, see all of our upcoming trainings. Don't be discouraged if a few are sold out. Just keep looking until you find the right date, time, and training for you um, because we are committed to making sure that they are available, that they are free, and that we can get everybody trained up. And as always, I love to suggest getting an accountability partner. So if you know someone in your life who might also be interested in doing this training with you, I find that is it just kind of compounds the learning. You end up having conversations about it and then the word spreads that much quicker. Um, and let's remember the five Ds, distract, delegate, delay, direct, and document. Emily. Good job. A superhero, <laughs> you and your team way back. Thank in you. Five, um, and you guys are absolutely thriving, helping to change the world. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your insight and also for doing what you do. Yeah.
thank you so much for doing what you do and for helping us to spread the word. We're so excited to train everybody in the Healthy Attack community for free. Come oh, on down and make it happen. fun. And just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. Once again, I am your host with clearly no filter, Chloe Wild. And if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to subscribe so you never miss out because that sucks. Feel free to rate and leave us a comment. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And my friends, remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. I'll see you next week. Thank you.